0: If it's a pew Bible, page 788, and if it's uh, your own, Acts chapter 21. I didn't mention anything earlier about the clothing exchange. It takes place next Saturday. I know that there was a notice sent out this week for volunteers, so if you're able to help with the clothing exchange next weekend, that would be great. You can talk to Joanne about that. And um, I wanted to let you know, too, that if you're bringing clothes down, there will be no one in the office from 1.30 on tomorrow afternoon. So if you're thinking, that's the only time I could bring it, then give me a call. I can meet you here this afternoon later or whatever. But uh, from 1.30 on tomorrow afternoon, there won't be anybody in the office. You have uh, heard before my story, my own personal story. Uh, I've told you before that um, my mother passed away when I was nine years old of leukemia, that my uh, father... Uh, was an alcoholic, and so I grew up in a dysfunctional family. my uh, two sisters, uh, one of them has been married honestly i can 't remember four or five times i can 't remember which one it is uh, i didn 't meet all of her husbands, and so i can 't remember uh, whether it 's four or five times my uh, younger that, that 's my twin my younger sister uh, has been on drugs. Um, all of her adult life, pretty much. Uh, she has been addicted to uh, crystal meth for most of her adult life. Uh, a couple of years ago, uh, my a cousin and my other sister and I put a whole new uh, set of teeth in my sister's head because she uh, all her teeth had rotted out after using crystal meth for years and years. I became a Christian because someone invited me to go to a Bible camp uh, it was a wonderful blessing. I went there because I thought that there were going to be girls there. There were girls there. Uh, but that's why I went, was to meet girls. Uh, you've heard the story before. I did end up meeting my wife at that camp, the, the woman who would one day be my wife. I met her on the night that I was baptized. And uh, it's all, in many ways, that's uh, such a, a wonderful story that rose out of what was in the beginning kind of a tragic story. And what I would say about that is this, and I'll tell you one kind of poignant moment with all of that. I think that God had his hand on me from the beginning. I think that God was watching over me through all of that. I think that his providential care was there, his love was there, that he was caring for me. Throughout my growing up years. And there are just when I look back on different incidences and things that happened to me in my life, I'm absolutely convinced that God was right there every step of the way. Even through the the, the most difficult times, even when I didn't know Him at all, when I didn't know God, when I didn't know who Jesus was, God was still watching over me. I'm absolutely convinced through all of that and and, and no doubt preparing me. And putting me in a position where one day I could serve him and be his child. One of the things that really stands out. Uh, and I, I've told this story before. Um, and you may have different feelings about this than I do. I, my second year, after after my second year of university. I went for the first two years into, to a school in Oregon. Where I grew up. And I I got home after my second year of university. And... Dad was in the hospital, and I didn't know that he was going to be in the hospital when I got home. I didn't know what was going on with him. Uh, He was there because he had colon cancer, although when I first got home, nobody knew that. And so I was home for a couple of weeks. He was in the hospital. They were doing some exploratory things to try and figure out what was going on with him. Uh, He had had significant uh, pain and problems for about 30 days, and so that's why they put him in the hospital. So I came home from school, and my stepmother said, you know, your dad's in the hospital. Uh, we, you know, we don't know what's going on. Honestly, I didn't think that much of it. You know, I, I wasn't really, I wasn't worried about him or anything. And uh, then uh, we got, the report got back to us, or, you know, the report came through uh, that he had uh, colon cancer, that it was uh, very advanced, and that he was not going to make it. And they told us that he had a couple of months to live. And so I, uh, you, know, I I'm, you know, I'm 19 years old thinking, you know, what am I, you know, what should I do here? Um, went to work for a couple of days and uh, in the middle of the second day, uh, we got a phone call uh, telling me that I needed to come home. And so I, I went home and um, my sister met me in the garage and it was very clear that dad, you know, that he'd already died. He, he passed away within just a couple of days after they discovered that he had colon cancer. And I, I think that's fairly typical, actually, that uh, after an exploratory surgery, oftentimes patients don't last much longer. And he, he just lived a couple of days after his exploratory. Well, during those two days, um, I, of course, I was thinking it was going to be two months. But during those two days, I prayed fervently about my father. Because dad was not a Christian. He didn't know the Lord. And I, I prayed fervently and I said, Lord, I don't know what is going to happen with him. But I want so badly for you to save him. And if, if something is going to happen in his life that is going to bring him to you, then keep him alive. Keep him alive through whatever pain he has to endure. Keep him alive for as long as it takes so that he can come to know you. But God, if my dad is not going to know you, if, if things are not going to change here, take him quickly. Because there's no reason for him to just have to be here and experience all that pain. And he died within 36 hours or so. Now, I don't know all the things that were going on there. The, the spiritual world and God's relationship with us is a complicated thing. And I, I don't pretend to know all the things that were going on there. But there's one thing that has come out of that that I'm convinced of. The... The, the day that I left to go to university, two years before dad died, the day that I left to go to university, uh, the night before I was at home with my parents, you know, stepmother and dad, it was the last night of me being home. And, um, you know, we're around the house talking about things, the future and, you know, my career, and what I'm going to do. And, and uh, I just made a, you know, a passing comment that, you know, oh, I thought about, you know, maybe I would go into Christian ministry and And my dad hit the roof, like he was not happy he wasn 't a Christian, and the last thing he wanted was to have a son who was a preacher and so he told me that, and uh, he you know he went to bed, he went to bed drunk and angry that night because his son had mentioned that maybe he might be interested in being a preacher and so it was my last night at home and I, you know, I, I didn't want things to end like that, for sure. And so I went into his bedroom and he'd just gotten in bed. I went into his bedroom and I knelt down next to Dad's bed. And I just said, "Dad, you know, I don't want things to end like this. You know, this is my last night at home. I don't want us to have this big problem, you know, just before I leave." And he looked at me and he said, "Kelly, I just don't give up." and he used a profane word about Jesus Christ and all that, and he used another profane word. That was how my last night at home was spent, because I had mentioned that maybe I might someday be a preacher. I say all of that to say that I think, That God was watching out for me. I think that God works today. I think he is alive. I think he blesses us. I think he takes care of us. And we in our rationalistic human ways of thinking and the things on which we focus. They cause us to miss it all. We miss the things that God is doing in our lives. Now, it might seem to you kind of almost a calloused thing for me to say that I think that God could orchestrate things in my life, even orchestrate my father's own passing, in order that I could go into Christian ministry. But I actually believe that that could happen, and I think that may be exactly what happened. I don't think that I ever would have been a preacher if it Hadn't been that my father died when I was 19 years old. I, I respected Dad enough that I probably would have done something else. You know, I pro- probably would have thought, well, I don't, you know, I don't need this grief and all the problems that are going along with this. I may well have said, I'm not, you know, I'm not going there. And so there was a sense in which my father's passing opened up the door for me to go into ministry. Now, does God work that way? Is that how he orchestrates things? There are an awful lot of events that occur in this world that I know are absolutely free events, or I'm convinced they are. I don't think that God orchestrates every event that occurs in our world. But I do also think there are times when God steps in and he intervenes and he does things because he wants to accomplish his will. And I think that I've seen him work in my own life. Can I prove that to anybody? No. But do I think that's happened? Indeed I do. Just this week, a couple of incidences, I happen to be watching the tube. I'm watching uh, Anderson Cooper and he's interviewing this fellow and this woman. The lady uh, was looking for, she lived in New York, she was looking for an electrician. And so she uh, goes to a friend who's a builder and says, I need an electrician. He said, I got just the guy for you. You know, I can, I can send you an electrician. So a couple of days later, this electrician shows up at her house and he starts doing some work and the two of them start to converse while, they're, while he's doing this electrician work. They start talking about various things and the conversation continues and the story unfolds. and And maybe you saw this. Lo and behold, the woman had a 16-year-old son that was killed in, I think it was an automobile accident. And she decided to go ahead and to donate his organs to someone who could use them. She's telling this story to the electrician. And I didn't hear the whole story, but I would imagine that at some point, the pliers or the screwdriver or something drops out of his hand. Because he realizes that he's the one who received this lady's son's organs and that because of her gift and the son's death, he lived. And so Cooper, Anderson Cooper, had them on the program when he heard about this so that they could just talk about this event and what exactly this means. He said, we did some research. He said, there are 11,500 electricians in your area. 11,500 electricians in your area. This one shows up at your door. Is that coincidence? I tend to think not. Maybe God was doing something. I don't know how God will use that event. But maybe he was doing something. Later on in the week, I'm watching the tube again. Not that I do that all the time. A young man is working in a restaurant, He's 17 years old. Ten years before, when he was seven, he was a bat boy for a Little League baseball team. And he was out on the field one day before the game. The team is warming up, and one of the players is swinging their bat, as kids would do, and he swings this bat, and he hits the kid right in the middle of the chest, this younger boy. Hits him right in the middle of the chest. The kid drops on the ground, stone dead, It stopped his heart as soon as the bat hit him in the middle of the chest. The kid falls down stone dead. A nurse jumps out of the crowd, runs down, and resuscitates him, brings him back, gives him, you know, she gives him CPR, and then she gives him mouth-to-mouth, resuscitates him, and he comes back, and, and he ended up being fine. Ten years later, he's working in a restaurant, and what had happened in the meantime was he thought to himself, one of these days, I'm going to need the same gift that this lady gave me. I'm going to need the gift of being able to offer first aid. So he's in a restaurant, and he looks over, and there's a woman choking. And so other people are just kind of standing around. He runs over, and three different times he tries to Heimlich her. On the third time, he's successful, does the Heimlich maneuver, and she's okay. His mother happened to be in the restaurant at the moment when that happened. The mother looks at him and says, and he's thinking to himself, isn't this great that I learned this, you know, this ability so long ago that I could offer first aid and save someone's life? And the mother looks at him and says, the woman you just saved is the nurse who came out of the crowd and gave you mouth-to-mouth resuscitation and saved your life 10 years ago. I don't think that everything in our world is a coincidence. And we have got to have our eyes open for the things that God orchestrates. If you're in Acts 21, look at this in verse 17. When we arrived at Jerusalem, the brothers received us warmly. The next day, Paul and the rest of us went to see James and all the elders were present. Paul greeted them and reported in detail what God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. Now, you remember from last week, Paul is on the way to Jerusalem. And he knows that bad things are going to happen to him there. The Holy Spirit has told him. The Holy Spirit has already told the church. Bad things are going to happen to you, Paul. You're going to be arrested. You're going to be bound. You're going to be persecuted for the sake of Christ. So they know that this is going to happen. Look at verse 20. When they heard this, they praised God. Then they said to Paul... You see, brother, how many thousands of Jews have believed and all of them are zealous for the law. They've been informed that you teach all the Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn away from Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or live according to our customs. What shall we do? And so the circumstance is that they hear Paul tell all the wonderful things that has happened through his ministry, and he's there, and they also hear, this is not going to be good for you, Paul, and they're worried about what's going to happen to him. And so just like last week, the church tries to stop the processes that God have put, has put in motion in terms of Paul. And so they go on and say, we need to do something about this. All these people are, they, they know who you are, they've heard about who you are, they think that you're telling everybody to not be Jews, and so they're, they're not going to be happy with this. What are we going to do? Middle of verse 22. They will certainly hear that you've come, so do what we tell you. There are four men with us who have made a vow. Take these men, join in their purification rites, and pay their expenses so that they can have their head shaved. Then everybody will know there is no truth in these reports about you, but that you, you yourself are living in obedience to the law. As for the Gentile believers, we've written to them our decision that they should abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. Now, what they're saying is, these people are all going to be after you, Paul. They're going to be after those who are with you, and we need to make sure that you're okay. We know that the Gentiles who are with you are going to be okay, because we've already sent out a letter, and they're going to be doing what they need to do as far as the food laws, so I don't think anybody's going to be attacking them, but we've got to watch out for you. You need to Carry through with these Jewish rites. They're going to see that you're Jewish, and everything is going to be just okay. Now flip back to Acts chapter twenty, verse twenty-two. Here's what Paul says about himself in Acts twenty twenty two uh, Acts twenty twenty two. He says, And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Paul is ready to go. He's following. He recognizes that God is doing something in his life and he's quite willing to put up with that. He tolerates it. Not just tolerates it, He welcomes it because he's doing God's will. God's providential care is present in Paul's life. Paul knows it. Paul trusts it. Now look at verse 27 in chapter 21. When the seven days were nearly over, in other words, when the feast was nearly over, when Paul was working on this, uh, completing these ritual rites with these other Jews, some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul at the temple. They stirred up the whole crowd and seized him, shouting, men of Israel, help us. This is the man who teaches all men everywhere against our people and our law and this place. And besides, he's brought Greeks into the temple area and defiled this holy place. And they have him arrested. The church itself tried to stop this from happening. Let's have you go through some purification rites. You'll look really Jewish. They won't go after you, but they do. They couldn't prevent these Jews from Asia who recognize Paul being there at the temple. They couldn't stop them from being there. And so they see Paul and they do everything that God said they were going to do to Paul and the church couldn't stop it even though the church itself, itself tried to stop it. And so God's plan is working out here. I won't read all the, the things that go on But by the end of this story, we find Paul standing in the city of Jerusalem, preaching the word of God, telling his story, talking about how Jesus met him on the road to Damascus and his life was changed. And so what ends up happening is exactly what God said he wanted to have happen. He wanted Paul to witness to who he was. He wanted Paul to be arrested. So that Paul would end up a witness. And even though the church itself is trying to stop it from happening, more than once, God's will is ultimately done because God is working. Not even the apostles could stop God's plan from working because God was doing stuff. And my question this morning is do we believe in God's providence? Does God shape events in our lives? Does God shape events even in the lives of churches? Does God put providentially things in your life? Does he put providentially things into the life of our church family? Does he work in that way today? Three years ago, Hope Pollock was in Blessings Bookstore. Walking through the bookstore, I don't know what was on her mind. Happens to see a book. Grabs the book off the shelf, goes home, reads it. Gives us a call and says, you know, this is a good book. We need to be paying attention to this book. This is good stuff. Some of the rest of us read it. Well, that book ended up being Church as a Team Sport. Written by this preacher in Post Falls, Idaho. His church had gone from 0 to 8,000 in 10 years. I don't think it was a fluke. I don't think it was a fluke at all. What's interesting is, is that about 10 years prior to that, right after Real Life Ministries got started, Sam Tumlinson's son, Matt, Matt Tumlinson was in Post Falls, and he was one of the original four couples that started that ministry. Matt came back to Canada, came to Sam and Arm at the BC Preachers Retreat within the first year of the starting of that church and told us all about it, said, we're doing great things in Post Falls. God is blessing us. This ministry is growing. I absolutely ignored it. (laughs) Absolutely ignored it. Paid no attention to Matt. I thought to myself, "Great, heard of about a million church plants and all the methods you want to talk about." You know, I'm, I'm I'm glad this is happening. Praise the Lord. Ignored it. And even when they started talking about it here, when Hope had us read the book or suggested we read the book and then we started getting excited about it, Jack Ashby was the one who kind of pushed for it. I wasn't really that into it. Ah, I heard about that 10 years ago. Not that big a deal. I was dead wrong. Absolutely wrong. And the reason why is because I didn't open my eyes. I didn't see what God was doing, what he was trying to do in changing our ministry. In making us a different kind of church. It was no fluke. God was trying to do something and I pretty much ignored it. I need to have my eyes open. I love... I love how Jordan and Carrie... Have faced things happening in their lives. I spent some time with them and with Piper on Friday... Um, Piper does not have long for this world. Um, God could do something wonderful, but all the signs are going in the other direction. But Jordan and Carrie are so open to God providentially working within their family. I was uh, talking to Carrie when I was in the hospital on Friday with them and she was telling me the story about how when Drew was sick there was a nurse who came in for one shift. She was taking the place of another nurse for just a shift. She came in, she happened to be a Christian and the two of them got to talking and the nurse opened her Bible and turned to Ephesians 3:20 20 and 21. It's the passage that says and now to him who is faithful and able to do more than we could ask or imagine. And he, she read that passage to Carrie. And Carrie told me on Friday, she said, Kelly, that was the verse that allowed me to let go of Drew. To let go of him and let him be with the Lord. So, last week, that nurse, who'd only been there for that one shift, is sitting in a Bible study at her own church. And one of the people in the Bible study starts to talk about this family that they know who's going through this circumstance where they've already lost one child and they're about to lose another. And the nurse, of course, realizes this is her story. She's very familiar with this story. And so she texted Carrie this week and said, I hadn't heard about Piper. I didn't know. But I know that God is watching over you guys again. God does things Like that. While I was there, I started, after she told me that story, I said, Oh, I I know another story, Carrie, about um, Kevin and Brenda Woods. He's a church planter and a preacher in Oregon. Kevin and Brenda's oldest son, Ryan, is about 30. Just found out that he has brain cancer, he's got two little kids just found out that he's going to die very soon. He went to the doctor and said, well, we're we're thinking about a trip to Disneyland this summer. Do you think I'll be able to go? And the doctor said, you need to go now. So I'd, I'd heard this story and talked to Kevin a bit, telling Carrie the story, and she jumps up off the bed and says, I read this story yesterday. I just saw this. And she looks at me and says, "You know these people?" I said, "Yeah, I do. Know them very well. Known them for thirty-five years." You tell me God's not working—that He's not orchestrating things and taking care of things. The beautiful thing—the beautiful thing—is that Jordan and Carrie are open to that. They're listening. They're praying. And I'm not saying they don't have times when they when they wonder. We would all have times when we wondered what is going on. But their lives are essentially lives of faith. And God is working in their lives. And so open your eyes, church. He is there and he is working. I love this line where the people... Are trying to convince Paul not to go to his own death. And he looks at them and says, Why are you breaking my heart? As they try and convince him not to go to Jerusalem. I don't know all the reasons Paul said that. But I have a feeling it has a lot to do not just with the fact that he is struggling with the fact that he has to leave them. But struggling and and then facing with faith what God had called him to do. And he's just saying, don't try and stop me. He's working in my life. He's doing something. I want to go and be with the Lord, as he says in Philippians chapter one. But man, so often we don't see these kind of things. Our eyes are shut to the ways in which God is working. We're blind to spiritual realities and circumstances. What are you missing that God so badly wants to show you? Open your eyes. Oh, God, open mine. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the ways in which you work in our lives. We need you, God. Oh, we need you. And, and you are there. You you don't stand removed from us. You're involved in our lives. You're right there orchestrating things. Help us to be aware of your providence. Open to the ways that you're working in our lives. Oh God, help us to see those opportunities. Those windows through which we can pass. Where you want to teach and guide, and show yourself. Help us to see them. Help us through all the events that we face in life to trust in you who is working with us and among us. It's through Jesus we pray. Amen.